Hello and welcome to the Laker Side Chats. I am your host as always, Alan Ramich. Joining me today is Silver Screen and Roll Editor-in-Chief and the Lakers Beat Writer Forum, Harrison Fagan. Welcome to the show, sir. How are you? You know, I'm doing well. I honestly, I appreciate you understanding that I woke up late and kind of forgot that I was doing this after last night's game. And so, you know, we're recording a little later, but I'm doing well. I'm, I, you know, I got my rest. I was able to, uh, like, you know, I had to sleep in a little bit after staying up late to cover that kind of mess. And yeah, I'm, I'm doing all right. A mess last night, I think was the most apropos thing for that game. It was a mess. It was... I don't it was think just I'll a re-watch. weird game. Yeah. Like I was just, I was continually confused as to how the Lakers were in it. It felt like they were playing horribly, and it's because offensively they were, but they were just playing defense good enough to like keep things close, so they could, you know, every so often when they hit a shot, they could bring things a little bit closer. But you know, that was just all too rare last night. Yeah, and then you know, Alex Caruso misses one shot and automatically he's the worst player in the history of the Lakers. Well, I also loved like, you know, just a way to distill down last night's game for anybody who made the justifiable decision to not watch it and or burn it from their brains, you know, either (laughs) again, totally defensible decision either way was like the Lakers retook the lead. Like all it took was Wes Matthews hitting two threes and all of a sudden the Lakers have the lead again. You know, like they just needed someone to hit a three and that's how good they were playing defensively was that they were going to be able to climb back into it. But it was just uh, it was tough sledding for them offensively. And I think it's going to continue to be. I'm sure we'll talk about this today. But for as long as they don't have AD and they don't have Dennis, it's like, you know, there, there are a lot. It turns out there's a lot of flaws in a team when you're missing two of your top three playmakers. Just two of your top three players, I'd argue, like, you know, especially as a championship level team especially when one of them plays as a top five all-world defender player you can run out of superlatives for AD like AD's having an off year and he's averaging 22 and 8 it's like that's his off year (laughs) yeah no I would I would argue for Caruso over Dennis at this Mm -hmm. like on the on balance of the season just because Dennis had a couple weeks where he was horrible and Mm -hmm. like just wasn't really giving them anything I didn't feel like on either end I mean maybe he was a little bit better defensively than I'm giving him credit for but I think sometimes his defense is just so loud that he gets like outsized credit for it and you don't see the little mistakes that he makes off of ball but you know I I, anybody who wants to put Dennis ahead of AC I am not going to argue certainly after the last two games where we saw how even when he isn't great He's just an NBA level playmaker that is it, like, that's just something that Caruso for, you know, all of his strengths and all the things that we can point out that he gives a team that is stacked like this one. When they're not stacked, you start to see the problems in his game. And I do wonder if he, you know, I'm just thinking about this right now, but, you know, he's a free agent this summer. And I do wonder if this little stretch is going to cost him a lot of money from a team that thought that you know, all the things that he does are great. And maybe he could give them a little bit more and a little bit more opportunity. I think we're seeing right now that, you know, I I think we're seeing the limitations of him as a player. Yeah, definitely. And I was about to touch on that literally, as you mentioned it, it popped into my head as well. And I was there like this, like recent, like five, six game stretch of Horton Tucker and Caruso is going to save the Lakers a lot of, a lot of money. Yeah. Horton, uh, THT too. Yeah, for sure. It's it really does seem like teams have gotten the scouting report on him and he just like, he, he's too young. He hasn't made those adjustments yet. He doesn't have the counters and it turns out like, you know, it only takes 10 to 15 games for teams to figure out that you literally will not take a layup with your left hand. Like zero, like zero chance it's happening. Like zero percent <laughs> chance, yeah. <laughs> but I was always finding it fascinating that he could finish like everything with his right hand. Like he was contorting his body in such a fashion to finish with his right hand at times. Like, yeah, he, like wasn't even looking at the basket anymore <laughs> sometimes just to be able to get it back with his right, like. And, you know, like people like, Obviously, like the first the first segment of the podcast, that I was going to ask you, like, is there any big takeaways? Is there anything that particularly worries you? But like, the big, biggest thing that worries me is like the only thing that can sort of derail the Lakers' season is multiple injuries to their most important players. But then you can argue that about every single team in the NBA, <laughs> like especially yeah, again, yeah, that that is not a uniquely Lakers problem. If you're missing two of your top three players or two of your top three playmakers, however you want to put it, however you rank Dennis in, you know, kind of this hierarchy, yeah, like you're you're. It turns out you're not going to be very good. You know, like you just teams aren't built to withstand that. Like they're built to, you know, everybody's always like next man up and the Lakers have taken that mentality 
functionality. They've talked about it. And ever, you know, I have, I've had people in my mentions like, oh, what about all this vaunted depth? It's like, yeah, that, that's great as depth. It's less great when they're the featured players, you know? Like when you have Wes Matthews and you're asking him to go out and create his own shot sometimes, like you're just not in an ideal situation as an NBA team. Well, though, precisely. And especially because we're so far off Wes Matthews being a shot creator for himself, what it's been like three to four years since he's been in that role, you know. Probably longer. Yeah, it's probably since he tore his Achilles in yeah. Portland. I think that was like the last time he was like, with when it, just before they brought in uh, CJ McCollum, right? That, about that time is when he was creating his own shots. So yeah. when, when someone hasn't done it for like six, seven years, these are the results you get. It's no surprise. Like, Yeah. Yeah, and, no, it's just, it, it's, it, you know, it, yeah, you can't have that much role displacement. No team can survive that. And then, you know, now they're having to deal with not just, you know, like the, the units with LeBron, like they, they can do okay. Like we saw last night, you know, it's obviously not going to be offense like it was before. And we saw some drawbacks with that, but it's the units without LeBron where previously you had Dennis or you had AD as kind of a security blanket to help things out, help things go a little smoother. Now they just, like, they just have nothing and they have guys that aren't used to producing in that role. So, you know, the one silver lining of this stretch is maybe it does, and it already has, the Lakers are working on some stuff to run without those guys you know maybe they discover some little element that can help them not for an entire playoff game not for anything like that but maybe for a stretch of one playoff game where one guy has a little bit more on ball skill than he had before knows a little bit more of what he has to do to go get his own on this team than he knew before and maybe this ends up kind of helping them down the road if it forces one or two guys to just discover a couple little extra elements where they can help this team but I mean overall yeah this has been this has been rough to watch I understand why people are upset and I understand why people are probably as down on this team as they've been in a while I just think that you know we can't go too hard on them until because yeah it's like you said no team is going to be able to survive this many injuries and uh, to like their top top end guys and I I think that nobody wants to hear this but we just have to cut them a little slack like nobody should be expecting them to win every game right now it's just not realistic well, and then to add even more context to that, the Lakers have played the most games in the NBA and they've played the most back-to-backs in the NBA coming off a 70-day off-season. Like, we, that, that's even more slack that should be cut towards the Lakers. Like, is it just me for thinking, like, A, that's really unfair? Like, all, like they, the four teams they should have protected were the Lakers, the Heat, the Nuggets, and the Celtics. Those are the four teams that they should have protected. However, they've gone the other way and just decided, yeah, who cares, guys, about your 70-day off-season? Who cares? Like, you know, you guys are strong. You can play through it. Yeah. And Yeah, I mean, it's just, yeah, you know, this is where them having no games delayed due to health and safety protocols, like not even from another team or anything like that, like they're one of the few teams left that hasn't had that, is almost costing them again. Because, like, not only did they have the short offseason, like you said, but they haven't even gotten one of these built-in little breaks where a team can maybe get an extra practice or two in if they aren't the team that's in violation of the health and safety protocols or, you know, at the very least catch their wind. They just haven't had that. And, uh, look, I'm not going to complain. I'm glad that they've not had any, uh, you know, the less health and safety protocol delays for teams, the better. But, uh, you know, it is context to this that you know we can't ignore i actually wasn't even aware of that back-to-back stat that's crazy especially coming off of the offseason they had like that was the worst thing for me like you know just researching into it is like all sports science points to and i'm sure dr raj bra would will will also attest to this like you should be protecting these teams like teams like golden state like the hawks like cleveland you know the teams that have rested for like nine months. They should be playing the most back-to-backs. Where whereas in the first half of the season, you should cut these other teams a little bit more slack, you know. But the NBA has decided to go the other way. They've they've had a lot of questionable decisions in the past uh, two to three months, I'll say. But hey, you know, such is life, I guess. You can't complain too much. No, I mean, there's nothing we could do about it. But yeah, I mean, I have my own thoughts on stuff that they've done and decisions they've made. And but it doesn't matter what I think they're going to, you know, they're their business and they're going to do what they think is best and whatever they're allowed to do like that to make money because that's what a business does. They are not, you know, like a, a, you know, as much as I think that like people kind of forgot that during the lead up to the bubble and whatever, like they are not responsible for teaching us like social responsibility or, you know, whatever it may be like they are 
like, you know, like they got a lot of praise for shutting the season down when they did and whatever. And uh, we should have always known and always been aware that for as much as everyone wanted to praise them for that, once they saw that other sports leagues didn't have to do all the costs of the bubble and all of the different types of tolls that that takes, of course they were going to go for the cheaper option that more players wanted and, you know, makes everyone more money. Yeah, definitely, and all, all I'm going to say is I'm going to look forward to all the um, concert videos from the All-Star Weekend in Atlanta. Oh, man. I don't even... Yeah, I don't even want to think about that. I just... That's... <laughs> That's like that's like a month away. Just let me just let me live in ignorance for now and then <laughs> we'll deal with that in a month. I just don't like I, I just hope that they have like a seven day quarantine period or they add in some seven day quarantine period post all star weekend because otherwise, yeah, I'm not confident that it's gonna go super well. You know, the sad thing is it's two weeks away. Oh god. All right. Yeah. No, we we need to change topics. I can't even I, I, I can't even wrap my brain around this right now. <laughs> Yeah, let, 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 let's 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 quickly switch over to a guy that they're missing ad um what do you make of his injury because you know obviously he had the whole tendinosis thing with his right achilles that wasn't really his achilles according to ad but he just forgot what it was called so he didn't really explain it well enough and then it flared up against denver and now the timeline looks to be around a month that i'd say it's about a month or so and what do you make of it are you particularly worried about the injury um uh, have you heard anything from the players to, to indicate that they're worried about it or anything like that? Yeah, so I I am not super, like, I'm trying not to play something that I'm not, because like you mentioned, I am not a doctor, you know, I am not Dr. Brar, and so I, I kind of cede to his expertise and cede to what other medical people are saying about this injury, and he actually theorized that it's a different condition that's not actually like tendinosis, but falls under that umbrella, and it's a uh, tendinosynovitis, I believe, is what he phrased it as, or tenosynovitis, uh, but, uh, you know, again, I'm not a doctor, uh, but it, it, my understanding is that his theory, given what AD said about it not being the actual Achilles, is that is the sheath around the Achilles, which is... Again, like all this stuff, you have to worry about it somewhat because all these things are connected. You know, we uh, even if you're not a doctor, if you've read about sports or watched sports over the last couple of years, like you've likely become aware of the idea of the kinetic chain of if one part of your body is kind of limited, then other parts are maybe overcompensating. And so that's the main part where I'm worried about is like, duh, you know, we, we saw he got a pretty bad calf strain right after, you know, while trying to play through this. And so I think that that is kind of was the wake up call for him and for the Lakers as like, let's just sit this guy and make sure that he gets all the way better so that he's not creating some other issue, even if it's not the Achilles and it's not like the nuclear worst option. You know, if you're dealing with a really bad calf strain at the wrong time, that can keep you out of a playoff series or keep you out of a couple games of a playoff series. So I don't blame them for playing it cautious. He's too important. And even if they lose some games in the interim, I, like, I just don't think it matters. I don't think that seeding matters a whole lot this season. I never have felt that way. Even if, and even if teams are letting in limited capacity crowds, I'm not worried about the Lakers ability to win on the road, especially when, you know, like if, if you look at like, it, like if you look at Denver, and like how their crowd has a bunch of Lakers fans every single time that the Nuggets play there. Or if you look at the Clippers, like you really think that if LA is letting in fans that that's not going to be at least 50% Lakers fans in the building for that. You know, like I, I just, so I, I'm not worried about any of these teams that they have to go at uh, these tough teams. And I know I didn't mention the Jazz. That's deliberately because you know despite all the overreactions that are going to come when they play the jazz this week without Dennis Schroeder and without AD and everybody's going to declare the jazz definitively better and whatever if the Lakers are healthy I'm not worried about their ability to win a series against the jazz home court advantage or not and I, I just don't see the area where if there are fans being let in that it's not going to be 50% Lakers fans anyway and you know there's obviously travel concerns to that and there's, you know, like the, the benefits of sleeping in your own bed, the benefits of not flying, whatever. But during a playoff series, both teams are flying back and forth, you know. And, and so that kind of advantage, quote unquote, is mitigated, you know. So it's basically the hotel bed and the fans. And I'm just not sure, like, that that is enough to sway me that this period matters. So, you know, just getting back to AD, I, I haven't heard anything about it from the team. Obviously, like, no one's really going to talk about 
someone's injury or anything like that and speculate on it or whatever. But I just, I'm not super concerned, but obviously this stretch is showing how important it is that they're resting him because you don't want to have this happen during the playoffs. No, precisely. And to touch on that, like, especially the point that you made about the home court advantage and the seeding and whatnot, like, this team is giving me very 2001 Laker vibes where as long as they get healthy before the playoffs start, I'm not as teams are currently constituted. The only team that sort of gives me pause is the Clippers in the West. And even then they have to be, they have to be shooting the lights out when it comes to that playoff series to beat the Lakers. So, and they're better than they were last year. They're more of a real threat, I think, than they were even last year when some of us, you know, thought that they might even have a better shot than the Lakers. And then, you know, they ended up, falling apart in the playoffs uh, you know nobody's forgotten that i'm sure that listens to this podcast and sure I, i'm sure got great laughs about it but like they're better than they were last year i feel pretty comfortable in saying and i don't know if that's going to be enough to beat the lakers i also think that the lakers despite their play recently are better than they were last year but they got to be healthy to display that and they got to start to work on the same i don't think that they have the same cohesion that last year's team had well, I think I think it's very rare to find the cohesion that, that last year's team have as well. Like yeah. because like we touched on it, like me and you have talked about it on this podcast before. Like, I don't think we've ever seen a team with that type of cohesion right from the bat. It was it was really phenomenal no, to watch. I, I certainly have not ever. Like it, it was really like it was a joy to watch and you know what and then seeing like I, I, like the one player, I'm not really like concerned about any of the players that left. Like we've seen Rondo in Atlanta not be great. Like what we all expected, really. That's Rondo, but people just and Sixers fans are running ready to run Danny Green and Dwight Howard out of town. So like, I, I mean, I, again, I know that Sixers fans and they're like the angriest basketball <laughs> fan base in the world. But like, you know, it's not like for everybody saying like, oh, we, I can't believe we lost Dwight. Like watch Dwight play with the Sixers. Like the Sixers have not been happy with what Dwight is giving them. And I, you know, I know he's been dealing with like some family stuff and whatever, but it's just like, you know, the the point is, is that these guys did not, like they are not the, the version of themselves that they were with the Lakers last year. And like, like you're telling me now all of a sudden you're pining for JaVale McGee when you were ready to run him out of town for the entire regular season last year. You know, like I, I just don't see you know, why everyone is so upset or what they expected from a weird season like this. Again, like I, I don't want to talk down to people. I know that there are legitimate arguments to be made that the Lakers are maybe a little bit softer around the rim than they were last year. But I, I just think that, you know, I, the thing that I keep going back to is when it matters, the Lakers will be playing AD at center. And if he's not healthy enough to do that, then they're screwed anyway. And so, uh, you know, they just have to kind of take their lumps right now try and get what they can out of the regular season and hope that he is healthy for the postseason. Again, I think that he's going to be back before the postseason. But, you know, I I think that they need to make sure that he's given as much time as he needs to get to as close to 100% as possible. And they need to try and keep him that way for, you know, for the playoffs. Oh, definitely. And and I I 100% agree with you there on, on everything. The only one I would love to have had, just because I think, his role, um, what what he'd do with the Lakers is better than what he'd do in Philly is Dwight. I think he, he had a more pronounced role. He knew exactly what he was doing, whereas with Philly, it's sort of like... We see it with Doc Rivers' teams, though. He sort of gives his guys the, the freedom to, 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 to play outside of what their role should be is what i'll say um like and and you're seeing that dwight howard should not be getting posts post ups in the post like five to six times in the year of 2021 it should just not happen but hey it happens and hey we figured out why he left the lakers to go to the sixers in that case like <laughs> 20 you know? 2013 vibes all over. He's like, all right, I did the. He's like, I did the whole role player thing for a year. It's time to show you guys that uh, Dwight Howard is still an animal in the post. <laughs> no, but but in all seriousness, he's the only one that I wish we had, just because I do think, especially obviously, like you said, if AD and if AD's not healthy and can't play the center spot, you, the Lakers are sort of screwed anyway. But I think against. While I think Mark's been really, really good against guys like Jokic and Embiid, and I think against Carl Anthony Towns in Minnesota last week, like people forget like how quickly the NBA is moving on these past few days. Like people have forgotten really quickly just how good these guys can be when you know they're relatively healthy. 
I just need a, an insurance option if if you get me. Like, and I think Dwight. And that's the that. other thing too is Mark hasn't missed time yet, and the, if he goes all eighty-two games of the season, that would be the first time in quite a while, possibly in his career, that he's made it through without an injury. And I know he's playing less minutes and all of that, but yeah, like that is the one maybe compelling argument to me to sign another big is that at some point, you know, you don't want to assume this, but you also kind of have to assume it. He may get hurt. And at that point, that's when the Lakers are really in trouble on the interior, because then what do you do? Do you start Trez and have Keefe as like your like your only two fives like that? That's kind of a problem. Or are you overtaxing AD if he's even back by that point like that? That's really the only compelling argument to sign an extra big to me. But, you know, I'm also not sure that that's a good enough argument to use their last roster spot on it, which is kind of why, you know, I'm kind of side eyeing Quinn Cook's roster spot. But as this deadline approaches this week and, you know, not that I want them to cut Quinn or anything like that, you know, but like they that may be a better usage of one of those spots is freeing it up, getting an extra big and then also being able to still use that spare roster spot that they've held all year to be able to sign another player. And, and th- there is ways to circumvent it, like you said, Queen Cook's uh, contract is guaranteed on the 24th of Feb, I think, is the deadline. Yes, the 24th, the 24th of February is a big date for the Lakers because it's both the date that Quinn's contract becomes guaranteed and it's also the date that they can finally use that final roster spot because the prorated vet- veterans minimum is finally low enough that it still fits into the room that they are under the hard cap. And so if they were to cut Quinn, let's say on the 23rd, then they'd have two roster spots on that day instead of just one. No, and... Exactly, and and there's, there is ways to get around it. Obviously, if people are pointing at Alfonso McKinney's roster spot as well, and he's he's he he guaranteed though is the difference. Yeah, yeah, and there was that weird quirk, wasn't there, in his contract where I think they would have waived him if it was just like a regular like stretch of three years, but it was like a seven year stretch when it when. Oh, is that? The, I don't even know about yeah. that. I just like, like, I didn't dig that deep into it. I just saw that like they had to cut one of those guys, and so once the, it came out that it was Bell, I didn't really even look into McKinney too much. But like, yeah, yeah, that that was that was the um, overriding factor. Is that? But my understanding it, is that his deal is guaranteed either way. So regardless of what it is, you, you have some of that on the cap anyway. So it doesn't really help you to cut him. Only yeah. if you like trade him for nothing, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you know, Quinn is the one that is is the only non guarantee left on. The roster no no uh, it, and it that 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 points before we move on to like the buyouts because i think they'll be relatively important but i think there'll be a shortage and we'll touch on it later um i just want to touch on lebron first because i i'm 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 pretty guilty of not giving lebron his flowers on this big just because like it's sort of expected lebron being this like superhuman best player in my opinion of all time and we don't really appreciate just how good the guy is. Like even in an off game last night, what he still had like 21, nine and nine or something. It's it's a ridiculous stat line, like for everyone else, but for LeBron, it's a bad game, which I think just like categorizes just how good the guy is. What do you make of LeBron? Because like, I I, I expected him to be before AD got injured. Obviously I was expecting him to sort of be the slow starter this year, just because of the age, him timing himself a little bit, you know, before, the all-star break and whatnot. Well, when we, when we thought there was an all-star break. Um, yeah. <laughs> I promise I'll stop like giving little digs to the NBA at one point. Um, but like, I'm, I'm so impressed with the dude and people will use that one bad game last night to, to sort of say, Oh, he's not the MVP. But in my opinion, like last night's game just proved even more just how valuable he is to this Lakers team. Cause as soon as he came off the court, like you said, even the okay lineups that we were putting out just went to like being god awful. Mammy are going on like a twelve-hour run at that point. Yeah, exactly. I think there was one point where they took him out, and the Heat immediately went on like a seven-zero or nine-zero run, like right afterwards. And you know, it, it's not even surprising because those groups have looked really bad without LeBron. And you know, for me, I, the thing that I just keep thinking about is like I think the thing that we all missed going into the season when thinking that he would take it's slow, like you said, was that number one, LeBron is not human. And number two, it's that I think that he saw the window was open for him to go after an MVP and really chase it because no one was going to vote for Giannis again. There's no clear presumptive 
early season front runner or anything like that. I think a lot of people wanted to put that on Luca, but we've seen how bad this Mavs thing is gone and there's no chance he's going to win it, you know, unless they go on some ridiculous run in the second half of the season. But yeah, so I think that he saw that there was no narrative favorite going into the season and that if he played really well to start, he could make himself that and really like kind of seize control of the race or put himself into a really good position to be able to win it down the stretch of the season at the very least. And, you know, he's done that. And so I, I think that it, honestly for him, you know, only having the two months off for someone of his age, not that it's an advantage because obviously there's, you know, wear and tear and extra stuff that comes with it. But just from a rhythm perspective, like he's probably less out of rhythm than he would have been otherwise. Again, like there are still other concerns with that. I, I don't think it was a good thing that he only had two months off, but just for his play to start the year, I do think maybe it was because he hadn't all the way ramped down from the season yet by the time that the next one was starting. No, definitely. And and I also had a theory about this like a couple of weeks ago. I started talking to people um in, in soccer and you know people sports scientists and they said like basically the older you get, like you said, the harder it is to ramp back up again once you ramp all the way down. So for, for a lot of these older elite athletes, it's better for them to actually stay in rhythm the entire time because then their body isn't going ramp up, ramp down because that's when you start seeing the injuries in these older players as well. So I think, like you said, I think that, that, that absolutely gave him a little bit of a boost, an unexpected boost because, you know, he is 36 years old. And it, See, this is where I've always are. The NBA rigs it for LeBron again. They only they give him, <laughs> only him a two-month offseason to really – so that he won't have time to get cold again and then just allow him to run away with the MVP. It's just – it's amazing how rigged the NBA is in favor of the Lakers, I have to say. It's so unfair to like – Yeah, it's know. just – it's unfair. It's uh, – you know, it's clearly rigged. <laughs> I, I really feel for the – um for the Joel Embiid lovers in Philadelphia. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's like when the NBA a couple weeks ago, you know, I was told was uh, was rigging that regular season game, you know, for the Lakers <laughs> against the Nuggets. Like it was it was very important to the league's bottom line that they that they beat the Nuggets in uh, in that in one a random, random January game. <laughs> yeah, in a random January game. It's uh, the league's bottom line needed LeBron to beat Nikola Jokic in that specific game. And then also lose to him a couple weeks later for reasons that we haven't really outlined as well. But I promise the conspiracy th people, we are on it and we are going to figure this out. We're going to figure out why all this is beneficial ultimately to the Lakers. And it, it is a very convoluted case. I will get QAnon's <laughs> best people on it. No, we're going to look, we are, you know, I'm going to be like Charlie Kelly and it's always sunny up against the whiteboard <laughs> with bulletins, you know, whatever, just like pins around the league, you know, pointing to different, connecting different strings to why everything is working out in the Lakers favor so far. It's like I said, look, this stretch without AD and Dennis, they're obviously faking their injuries. So the other Lakers can figure out like the, so the Lakers can figure out who their fourth playmaker is is and give that guy more opportunities and kind of really slot their rod. Look, the NBA is just, it's amazing how great of a job Adam Silver does of really setting the Lakers up for success. Oh, definitely. And you know, <laughs> <laughs> I can't even be serious. <laughs> I tried. I apologize. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, um, like, the, 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 a the conspiracies about the Lakers are hilarious. Like while we're on that topic, like no one cares if the Lakers won a game in January or not. Like the bottom line is whether they win in June or is it July? I, I honestly don't like the dates. No, there were there were earnest Grizzlies fans in my mentions upset about the free throw disparity between the team with the most free throws and that averages the most free throws in the NBA and the team that like fouls the most in the NBA. And they were like, "Well, why are the Grizzlies getting so much less free throws?" It's like, well. I mean, I don't know if you guys have watched any other Grizzlies games this year, but it would appear to me, based on the numbers, they foul a lot. And so, you know, I, like, I'm not sure that a team with one of the best, like, free throw shooters or, like, free throw foul drawers in league history, you know, as much as people like to say that LeBron never gets calls, like, he is pretty good at drawing fouls. Like, he probably doesn't get as many free throws as he has earned, but he does get a lot of them. And, like, yeah, it's it's just wild to me that people think that, like, the NBA, like, rigs. Like, okay, if you want to say, like, the NBA rigs playoff games, like, I, I don't believe that, but I can see your points and I can see, like, the, you know, I can see the past cases where people, that are the reason that people imply that. I totally get it. Like, I don't personally, I just don't think the risk-reward trade-off is there to me because if it ever came out 
that it was actually rigged, like nobody would ever watch the NBA again. It would be, you know, it would be professional wrestling. But I, I can see why certain people with, with a certain predisposition would believe that. I don't think that that's crazy. To rig a January or February game in a regular season that, like, you know has probably less action on it, I would imagine, due to the unpredictability than ever, and probably is getting, and, and we know is getting less ratings in a lot of ways because everyone has so many other things going on. It's just, it's insane to me. Shout out to Shaq and Chuck and Kenny and, and the crew for for, for for lowering the ratings, but mostly Shaq. <laughs> yeah, it's, no, it's, it's Shaq specifically going at Donovan Mitchell. I think we just we just solved it right there. And also him not knowing Pascal Siakam's first name. <laughs> See, I I can't even get mad at that. That's just amazing television when you realize <laughs> that these guys like don't even know the name of a guy who was like, what was he? Was he second team All NBA last year? Third yeah. team? Like he was he was second an All NBA guy last year. Literally, like one of the best fifteen players in the NBA last season. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? Like, I I have to admire. I have to admire the amount of money they get compared to how much work they do. Like, I respect that hustle. So no, much. look, we we stand kings of work-life balance, and like nobody <laughs> nobody has managed that balance better than the inside the NBA crew, not named Ernie. Shout out to DJ Diesel coming to a yeah. party soon. Um, no, yeah, Shaq like, is too busy filming commercials for like you know like Icy Hot and like uh, you know Papa the John's. general to yeah Papa John running Papa John's to uh, to worry about knowing Pascal Siakam's name. <laughs> but yeah, like going on the Grizzlies thing, just to bring it back to to basketball a little bit before we go on off to on on a complete tangent. Also, another interesting fact about the Grizzlies is: Did you know that they they average the least amount of free throws per game in the NBA as well? Like it, it's not it's not a surprise that there's this disparity, this 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 type of disparity when it comes to numbers in the free throw line. But and also the Lakers good. like foul the least of any team in the NBA. Like or well, like they're one of the lowest in terms of free throw attempts allowed and all that stuff. Like they 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 do not foul a lot, which is one of the things that you know I thought Mike Trudell really highlighted as why the defense hasn't really dropped off between because Dwight and McGee fouled a lot. You know they were probably you know, better rim protectors than Gasol in some certain specific ways, but not in terms of how many times they were fouling per game. Like Dwight fouled on almost every possession. He just didn't always get called for it because like he, he almost was doing the Seahawks cornerbacks thing where you can't call it every single time. So I'm just going to hack you every single time and see if I can get away with it. And there'd be some games where it's like all of a sudden, like Dwight has like three fouls in five, like, you know, 10 minutes of playing time and has to go to the bench. And then there are other games where he's able to get away with it. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. Yeah. As a Seahawks fan, I enjoyed yeah. that reference. <laughs> no, it's hilarious <laughs> to watch. <laughs> but yeah, like just to just to round it off on LeBron before we move on to our final topic. Um, yeah, that, I apologize for that tangent. No, that was, I, I, that was I enjoyed where it. I intended to go. It was great. I, I really enjoyed that. I'm, I'm sure the listeners will as well. Um, with LeBron, my prediction is that he does win the MVP. Um, I, I like like you said. I think the narrative's built that way, and and we're sort of seeing like a. a pre all-star break lull i'd say with lebron where he's not really trying as hard as he did in the first let's say like 15 games or so which is totally like fair like i respect it especially when you realize that he thought he'd have a break from the 5th to the 10th of march that just isn't happening anymore shout out to the nba again great job guys yeah um i i expect him after the all-star break to pick right back up where he was at the beginning of the year and i think he runs away with it at some point because i also think like to some degree, he can't you expend too much energy now. Again, I say this after he played 37 minutes last night and did look tired. I do think that he's also wearing down a little bit mm-hmm. from, and that's the other part of the, you know, as much as you can keep your rhythm without that ramp down, like there are other, there are going to be other consequences to that. And I think the fatigue of one of them, and now he's really, really having to carry the team. I thought that we started to see some of the first signs of fatigue from that last night. You know, mm-hmm. you, you mentioned that he only had 21 points, but it came on like 19 shots, I believe. And like, you know, he, I think that again, some of that is more defensive attention can be sent his way without those guys out there. But again, that's going to continue to wear you down, but he played 37 minutes. And I do think they need to figure out a way to kind of, if not get the total like way, way down, at least they need to at least drop like three minutes off of their three or four minutes and, and, 
you know, just concede that if they're going to lose these games in, you know, the 16 minutes that LeBron doesn't play, then that's just what it's going to be. And you can't overtax him chasing these, you know, chasing upset wins in February that don't really matter just to kind of bolster his MVP case and worry about seeding that probably doesn't matter and all that stuff. And I think they get that. Like Frank Vogel made an interesting point last night that I hadn't really considered, but he said that to them, the totals for LeBron are less important than just making sure that he's not playing too long at once. And so like, I think that that, you know, I think it's an interesting point because right. Like if you're expecting an injury to happen, that's when you'd be expecting it to happen. Right. As in the ninth minute of a nine minute shift or something versus, you know, as long as they're getting him in there for burst, 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 then maybe that is like, that matters less. Again, I'm not a doctor, but uh, that makes sense to me. And so I think that that's something to keep an eye on is them monitoring how long he's in the game all at once. But still, you know, I think that he, is also tiring out to your I don't think that this is just him intentionally resting even though I think there is a degree of okay I can't take everything on my shoulders right now because we may not win anyway and it's just you know it's tougher sledding with all of this extra defensive attention and it's not going to be for much longer either because obviously Dennis Truder keeps on testing negative according to Adrian Wojnarowski which is a good thing like I'm, I'm yes. glad that he's, that he's that he's fine um you know, also the contact tracing. We could have a, a whole podcast dedicated to just how messed up the whole contact. Tra- but again, great job, NBA. You, you're doing a fantastic You're, you're doing it. Way to go, guys. <laughs> but yeah, um, it's what? Two games? Another two games where he has to carry the entire load? And what, if you lose to the Wizards and Jazz in February, will people really remember it that much in May time? I, I doubt it, personally. I think we're going to see all-out LeBron against that Wizards defense. I think I think he knows I think it, it, <laughs> he knows an opportunity for a 40-point triple-double to bolster his MVP case when he sees one. So I would be very surprised if he doesn't go all-out against, uh, against the Wizards there. Well, yeah, like... Yeah, it's the Wizards. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to Ben Mehich who covers the Wizards. Um, he does a great job. Sorry that you have to cover the Wizards, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um, moving on to the last part. Obviously, um, there's been a lot of news sort of um, in the past week, which there never really was like in previous seasons in, in like February time where we're talking about like people having buyouts and stuff. And obviously, DeMarcus Cousins was a big one. Yesterday, a few days before that, we obviously had the, like the Blake Griffin not being shut down for either a trade, which is I highly doubt. I don't. Any- I can't decide what I feel like is more insanely unlikely: a trade or a buyout. I don't understand like what they see that we don't see in terms of it, because that deal has to be untradeable. Like, it just, yeah, like, I can't, I know that we say that there are no untradeable contracts in the NBA anymore, but I just don't see, like, for as much as people, you know, kind of, like, gave flack to the Wizards for dealing for Westbrook and whatever, like, he's still, you know, like, he's still like a 20 and 10 guy. You know what I mean? Like, even if it's inefficient, even if it's whatever, like, Blake is just not even close to that. And he's owed almost 40 million next year. I don't see how you trade it. And then from his perspective, how how much money are you willing to give up? I don't know. It's just crazy to me. Well, like you said, at least like like we said about Siakam being all, all second team last year, Westbrook was all third team last year. So there, there was a legitimate argument. To yeah, he made. was horrible in the playoffs, but like, and he hasn't been great to start this year. But the Wizards are winning now, and like he is, you know, he's been he's better than Blake at the very least. Like, <laughs> which is fair enough. And like, hey, I've never seen like early buyout rumors like this. Obviously. But the weird thing is, like, I, I thought they were waving Cousins because he was on a non-guaranteed deal just like Quinn Cook was. But no, I find out that they fully guaranteed his contract like two days ago and then decided to waive him. So great job. Well, they did. From my under, I don't think that that was a mistake or anything. I think that we just, um, we kind of missed the actual reason that they guaranteed that. You know, in Shams's article on it, I was reading, and it said that basically they guaranteed that money as a reward to him for his professionalism. And so they were just kind of willing to eat the cap 
you know, hit that it was going to take from guaranteeing that. But also like they knew that they were also, they were going to buy him out or waive him or whatever, but it was like a thank you payment on the way out the door. Similar to what the Jazz or the Mavs did with JJ Barea earlier this year, where they fully guaranteed his contract and then waived him to give him another chance to go play for a team that, you know, he could get in the rotation for, which I don't know what team that is. I think they were being very charitable to him in the release, but they were basically giving him a thank you payment on the way out. And I think that the Rockets are doing the same thing with uh with boogie here well i'm very surprised great job tillman job one yeah, i mean I, I'm, I am shocked like they must have told tillman that like that they had to guarantee it to wave him out or to wave him or something like i don't understand how they got that past him but that that, that was the biggest shock to me but also as soon as the, the 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 rumor breaks that Sham says that they're planning to part ways, Kevin O'Connor from the Ringer brings out a report that the Lakers are one of the teams interested in Boogie. Now, I I, I brought you on, and obviously we agreed to, to you know you agreed to come on the podcast before all the Boogie thing happened, but it's sort of like um, poetic justice that you're on it right now because a lot of people came after you for saying that Boogie is um, not as big a help as Mark Gasol, obviously, like you know in. It, and something yeah. that I did not realize would be such a hot take, but <laughs> yeah, something that I didn't realize was such a hot take either until until I saw your, yeah. your feed. <laughs> but yeah, like um, I, I as I talked to you last night, I'm a fan of Demarcus Cousins just as an NBA player, so I I was hoping he'd get back. But to, to sort of imagine that Mark, DeMarcus Cousins can play a major role on a championship team with all his injuries in 2021 is uh, a very... I don't know how to say it without like offending people. Like that, 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 That's the trouble I'm finding right now. There's no... The way I see it is if they bring in, bring in DeMarcus Cousins, it's because of his relationship with AD and LeBron, which I could absolutely see happening. And it's a regular season innings eater. Like that, that, those are the only two reasons why I could see it happening. Yeah, really, the only argument for it is it's a maybe upside move that is that you already know fits in in the locker room, has the relationships that you mentioned, and you know I, I think that they'd have to get the assurance from him that he was fine not playing, uh, you know, even if healthy, if they have better options. Because again, I know that everybody wants to say like, oh, there's no way he could be worse than Marc Gasol. Like, congratulations on only watching Boogie's good games this year, first of all. And like, <laughs> second of all, this man is shooting 37.6% from the field as a back-to-the-basket center. I know that he's like been a little bit more away from the basket, mm-hmm. a little more willing to be a floor spacer this year than previous seasons and stuff like that, but... You know, it says something that he's embraced the lesser role, theoretically is less of a featured player, and is still shooting horribly from the field. Like, that's not from three. That's from the field. He is shooting 37.6%. He has the – and it's not just like, oh, like he's shooting further away from the basket. Per B-ball index, he has the third worst finishing at the rim rating in the entire league as a seven-footer. He is the third worst player in the league in finishing at the rim this season. Like, that – He's not what you think he is offensively. And, you know, he's not, uh, he's horrible defensively. Like everybody's saying, like, oh, they're okay, fine, but there's no way he can be worse than Gaslow, which is the super clever thing that everybody has taken <laughs> to calling Mark Gasol. And it's like, okay, so not only can he 100% be worse than Mark Gasol, and that's not, that they're, you know, first of all, I have news. If you think that they're signing him to play over Marc Gasol, you know, I have like a bridge in in the Bay Area to sell you. But like <laughs> there he is not only worse than Gasol, he's worse in every single interior defense stat that they track at B-ball index, including blocks per 100 possessions, the percentage of shots taken at the rim when he's on the court that he contests, blocks per shot contest, defensive field goal percentage at the rim plus minus. So like the defensive field goal percentage at the rim when he's in the game versus when he's not. And as well as deterring shots from being taken at the rim. He also has a worse defensive overall impact than Gasol per B-ball index's LeBron stat. And he is, yeah, so he's worse than their finishing at the rim stat. And he has had, he's been in foul trouble more often than 98% of NBA players this year, which is, 
one of the few like really, really good things about the Lakers interior defense has been they don't foul. And so all of a sudden you're going to add this guy who is in foul trouble more often than 98% of the league. I just, to me, I don't see how this works at all. And other than being, like you said, an innings eater, whatever, like I understand that he's a big name. I understand that there's a segment of NBA fans. that's like, Oh, like I want to see Boogie contribute to a title contender, whatever. Like I, I am not among that subsect of fans, but that said, you know, even if I was, I don't see how he contributes to any winning team. And I certainly don't see how he contributes to this specific Lakers team and the things that they do well. And especially not when they only have limited means to add to their roster. Again, the only argument that you can make is that he is a break glass in case of emergency if Gasol gets hurt. And even then, like, I honestly would rather see Kaycock get some run. And I know that he's undersized, but he can't be worse around the rim as a defender than Boogie has been this year. Like, so I don't know. Maybe. Maybe, maybe you can talk me into this since I, I understand that you're the world's number one boogie fan after listening to that intro. But like, I, I just uh, like, I, I don't, I don't see how he helps. And with that said, I'm convinced that they're going to sign him for all of the reasons that you mentioned. And because, you know, he is, again, this is not reporting. I want to be super, super clear. I have no idea if they're actually going to sign him. I just would be <laughs> like, I would not be surprised if they did also in part because he's one of the few guys that as a center, if they get bought out, does not immediately have a more enticing opportunity in Brooklyn because he basically called James Harden like a fraud hater quitter on the way out of the Rockets. And I cannot see them just signing him in Brooklyn after that. And so, and, and he also wouldn't fix their interior defense anyway, but that's, you know, also a problem that applies to the Lakers. Well, with Boogie, to say I'm the number one Boogie fan is a take. And I, and no, I, I know that you all can't see Alan right now, but he's actually wearing a shirt that says hashtag boogie forever, hashtag free boogie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I wish. I'm, I'm I'm close to that level. And then he has his Kings jersey framed on the wall behind him. Uh, next to the Pelicans jersey, obviously. Yeah, next to the Pelicans jersey and next to the Warriors jersey. <laughs> no Laker jersey in sight, though. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, but, but under Marcus Cousins, it's it's one of those things, like you said. I just I'm convinced it's going to happen. So I, I, I've started to look at the um, instead of looking at the negative side, I've tried to like take whatever positives I can sort of like. Um, just there's not many. <laughs> like there really isn't. Would I rather have had like a Dwayne Deadman look on a ten day contract? Yeah, sure. Like there's got to be something. Everybody keeps bringing up Deadman. There's got to be something wrong or that he's done that we just aren't aware of or that he was doing. Not even like I'm not even saying necessarily criminal. Like I'm just saying like in terms of his fit with his last team, just that no one has signed him yet and he has like at least decent metrics and is like a decent prospect according to like there has to be something that the NBA circle is aware of with him that we are not whether it be an injury, whether it be you know like the or way he conducted himself play with his or team or like you know like didn't want to fit into like didn't want to sacrifice thinks he's better than he is again like i'm not trying to like tar and feather the guy or anything like i don't know what that is but just the fact that no nba team has signed him leads you know that my antennas go up a little bit and i'm like if he's this good as people keep telling me that he is not that anyone's saying he's an all-star or anything but just that he's a guy that should be on a roster there has to be something that we don't know no definitely and like you said, it is weird because I, I was expecting, you know, when he, when Detroit did that random like eight center pickup thing, I was like, first of all, credit to Detroit for like just completely zagging while everyone's zigging, you know, I respect yeah. that. Um, but also I was low-key expecting as soon as he got waived from the Pistons that someone would pick him up and then it just never happened, which... Like you said, there must be something going on that just we have no idea about, and it, it's it's a weird one. But but also like like we like I said to you in the DMs, like or NBA teams just don't think that he's as good as we do, and you know there's always that chance. Possible. I mean, it seems unlikely that like there's like thir- that all thirty NBA teams agree on something when somebody was willing to give Mason Plumley like you know like uh you know like an eight figure contract this summer, but um you know yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah, it, 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 it's, it's a weird one. And like I was saying to you, the, the options don't seem very um, open this year as they did in previous years. There's no like definitive 
candidates out there in the open market right now, apart from Isaiah Thomas and Joe Johnson, obviously, you know. Yeah, like, and then the, there's like Trevor Ariza will probably either get bought out or traded and bought out at some point. That just seems like it's going to happen. You know, like I, I think the writing is on the wall. Too many insiders have written about it for that to not be something that his agent has, is pushing for. The other thing before we move on from Cousins that I just want to make sure that we mention really quickly because I'm trying to make sure that I'm better about this stuff is like, like what he was allegedly caught on tape saying last year whether or not the charges were dropped is reprehensible and you know like i'm not the the fact the lakers are giving him a ring anyway means to me that they don't care uh but like for me that is another reason like for me personally that is another reason that i personally would not want Mm -hmm. him on the team or around or whatever but and i do feel like you know like when you again i feel like i have to say allegedly i'm not sure like it seems like yeah. he's caught on recording because saying it, this but like per tmz but like allegedly like threatening to kill the the mother of your child is you know like that's no small thing whether or not they drop the charges and just yeah I, i'm not uh, like just even from an off the court perspective i'm just not interested in the boogie thing to say nothing of all the negatives on the court no definitely and like you said it, it regardless of what the context is or you know whatever no human should be saying that to another human being like in general and like just want to clearly put that we both are vehemently against that type of thing you know god forbid it happens to anyone and if if it is happening if it is happening to someone listening to this podcast please get help um because no one should be subjecting themselves through it um but yeah i agree i'd stay away from boogie if it was me personally um, but obviously I just think it's going to happen. So I've been trying to like dissect positives out. Yeah. There's also like the reality that this move doesn't happen, you know, in NBA circles, 99% of the time, unless the guy has their next move lined up. And so, you know, wherever he's going, that has probably already been decided. And so like, you know, we'll see where ultimately that is. Well, like just what an NFL example, like Damon Harrison was with the Seahawks and all of a sudden he asked for a release saying he doesn't want to play this year. And then two days later, he signs with the Packers. Like these guys know what they're doing. They ask for their release to go somewhere else that they know they're going to get more play time. Yeah. Um, or, or at least a better chance of winning a title. And that didn't work out well for Damon Harrison. Sucks to be you. But yeah, that's my Seahawks fandom coming out there. Um, <laughs> is there anyone, just be, while we, just before we wrap things up, is there anyone on the the buyout radar? I know Ariza's like the main guy that everyone talks about as being like a buyout candidate. But I also think like the legend of Aaron Mintz will come back to haunt the Lakers. Yeah. Um, well, it's just the thing is, it's like, you know, for as much as like the Aaron Mintz thing, like I, I think that there are mitigating factors here that don't exist in other places where like Ariza was a Laker before and he also was a Palinka client before. Mm-hmm. And Mintz ultimately does not get to decide where he plays. Ariza does. And mm-hmm. so, yeah. Definitely. And, and you know, Ariza has made no secrets about just how much he loved being in LA and, you know, he has posted him in a Laker jersey far too often for someone who is in the NBA, not named Jason Tatum. Shout out Jason Tatum. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I no, what's great about Ariza, we don't even have to make a jersey swap. Like, it's already ready. We just <laughs> have to, like, ready. Photoshop his hair a little grayer or something like that. Like, <laughs> just add, add more wrinkles on the floor. Yeah, exactly. Like, just. <laughs> oh, but, but in all seriousness, outside of Ariza, like, I, I'm because of the whole playing tournament thing, like I mentioned to you. Yeah, I'm, it's... Really, I'm really struggling to see like usually guys on like a team that's like tenth. You'd be like, you'd be able to say this guy would get bought out at this point, but now you just can't. I, unless they're like, every team, out, like almost every team is convinced that they can make a run to at least the tenth seed. Exactly. So with that. A, I, I wouldn't care about that if I was a GM and my team was horrible. I'd just like tank and get Cade Cunningham at number one. But hey ho, we all run teams differently. That's why I run a podcast from England and they're running NBA teams, <laughs> I guess. Um, but but yeah, um, the whole seven to ten playing tournament thing, I think, has sort of like killed the buyout market unless it's been like pre-agreed or, or they're on a horrible team like a Detroit or a Minnesota shout out to Minnesota for being horrible with two all-stars I don't know how you man- managed it but we are there um also nepotism is a very powerful thing and that's all I'll mention on the Minnesota Timberwolves um moving swiftly on do you think that there will be anyone that I can't think of that will get bought out 
No, no one's coming to mind. And so that's also maybe the other reason that the Lakers look at at Cousins is like, do they think like, what have they heard in terms of their intel gathering of who's maybe going to get bought out, who's pursuing a buyout quietly, who has been told by their team that if they're not at, you know, XC by this date, that they'll work on a buyout with them and give them another opportunity. Like the Lakers know more about this stuff than we do. And so, you know, if they sign Cousins, like there's probably reason to believe that they did not hear that anyone better was possibly going to get bought out because they would be aware of this more so than we are but yeah like that that, that's the other thing is it's just hard to predict who is going to become like on the market and the Lakers also you know like there was the Woj reported yesterday that they're interested in PJ Tucker it's also just like depending on what the Rockets want it's hard to construct a deal there with the pieces that the Lakers have and like not even just there just in general it's hard to figure out what who like who could you trade Kuzma for like would you be willing to give up Kuzma and THT for not for Tucker obviously but like is there a Mm -hmm. player that you would be willing to give those guys up for that you feel like could help you have a better chance to win a title this season and these are all the calculations that they're having to go through is what's the advantage of taking that approach who's available via that and that they can actually construct a trade for that works under the salary cap which is tough and then who is going to get bought out and i just think that like this year that that whole thing is far more unpredictable than it is normally because of the play in tournament because of the weird circumstances of the season a team is unfortunately like a coronavirus outbreak away from falling out of the playoff picture and then you know maybe being more in the market to buy guys out than they would have otherwise and there's just so many things that are so hard to predict this year that I don't really feel like I have I feel like I have a worse beat on that Mm -hmm. than I have in any other year that I've covered the team no definitely and I, I, I feel like even guys like Woj who, who, and Shams who seemingly know everything, um, especially when it comes to like player transactions, uh, you can tell that they're sort of having a hard beat of, of it as well. Like no, just no one has any idea what's going on right now when it comes to the, when it comes to the whole buyout market. And like you said, like PJ Tucker, the only way I can see him like realistically being a Laker is if he somehow gets bought out by, by Houston. But then again, I, I don't see him getting bought out by Houston. I think he can at least get him like two second round picks or something. Yeah, they're not going to buy him out. I don't. Uh, he he's too expensive for them to buy out. Like he's like eight million, and like they, they can they can get something for him, you know. Yeah. And especially if they're not asking for picks and they want a player, which is what Wove said, they can get a player for PJ Tucker. I don't know who that player is, but you know, if he's just unhappy and wants to go somewhere else, that maybe will extend him down the line because he was unhappy with Houston for not extending him. Like they'll be able to get something. For for him. I don't know how good of a player or whatever, but yeah, from a Lakers perspective, I was looking at this yesterday and it's just tough to find a player on this roster that you think that they, you never know, but you, that you think that they would be interested in that you can also construct a trade around other than Kuzma. And then every single Lakers fan got mad at me for saying, why would you give up Kuzma? This guy's washed. Da, 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 da. And it's like, look, I'm not necessarily arguing that they like desperately need to trade Kuzma for PJ Tucker or anything. But if that is somebody that they're interested in, that's probably the one piece that makes sense from their perspective that you can actually construct a trade around. The other guy who the Rockets could conceivably want would be THT. But with him, you're having to throw so many guys into the deal to make the salaries work that it just seems unrealistic for a team to do midseason that's competing for a title. And so that's why I don't think it will be THT more so than any other reason beyond like, you know, like obviously they like him and all of that stuff and whatever. But even outside of that, it's just hard for me to see it logistically where they could make it work. No, definitely. Yeah. But there's always three team trades and maybe maybe there's some you know scenario that I'm not considering that might actually be able to construct a deal that gets him on the Lakers where they get where this other team gets some other Laker that they feel like could help them or whatever but I, I don't know I'm not like that is not my strong suit as an NBA writer uh but yeah it's just it, it's tough to predict, predict this year and that's the biggest takeaway I, I, w- w- because everything's sort of so condensed down, like the 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 the, uh, the trade deadline's in a month, so obviously the buyouts will start happening as soon as the trade deadline is done. It's it's something that you sort of have to start looking at, but because the landscape's so unclear, there's not really anything like that was the, that was the most difficult thing I had preparing for this podcast was trying to find things that work to get like a PJ Tucker to LA or 
just any role player who needs to be traded for. Yeah, like we know that the Lakers, we know that the Rockets uh, over the last couple of years have been interested in KCP, but that was with different management. That was under a different roster context. Like we, we just have no idea if he's still someone they would be interested in. And then even like I was trying to construct a trade with KCP yesterday and it's tough without the Rockets having to send back multiple guys with Tucker. And then the Lakers are up against like the hard cap and are up against like roster limitations and all that. Like it's just really hard to make deals work for this team with the contracts that they have, which is why I think the buyout market is probably a more realistic avenue for them to improve things. And like, that's ultimately why I, you know, I would not be surprised if they wave cook by this deadline at all, just mm-hmm. because they may want to add sort of like last year where they, you know, they dropped Troy Daniels and then they added, you know, they, because they wanted to add two buyout guys basically. Mm-hmm. Oh, and, or and, no, actually, sorry. The second one, I guess they they dropped Troy Daniels to add one roster spot, and they were able to add um, they were able to add Jr. later because Avery Bradley opted out. So I apologize, that was not exactly like last year, but we did see last year that they were they willing to part with a well, guy who was well liked in the locker room to free up an extra roster spot for someone they felt like could help more. They did wave Boogie for Dion as well last year. If I remember correctly. No, Boogie was for Markeith. And then uh oh, Troy Daniels yeah, yeah. was uh Troy Daniels was for uh so actually, yeah, never mind. I was right on accident. There you go. Yeah. We proved you right. There we go. Yes. <laughs> but yeah, the, 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 I, I believe there'll definitely be a name that we didn't expect, and then it'll be like, oh, they're signing with the legs. Like, good job, Palinka again. Yeah. Great GMing. And yeah. So Harrison, I really want to thank you for coming on the show. Uh it's always a pleasure when I have you on. Where can the people find all your great work? Yeah, so you can find me and yell at me on Twitter for my Mark Gasol takes at H-M-F-A-I-G-E-N, at H-M-Fagan. And then all of my work appears on Silver Screen and Roll, whether on uh, silverscreenandroll.com or on our podcast, which you can find by just searching Silver Screen and Roll. Thank you so much for coming on. Be sure to to, to go on all of Harrison's uh, articles. They are phenomenal. Uh, the podcasts on silver screen and roll. I also listen to regularly when I'm renovating my room, uh, which, <laughs> which has been a hell of a job. Thank Leave that so- as a review. Five stars. I listen to it when renovating my room. I will do. <laughs> as soon as we're finishing recording, I will do that. <laughs> as long as you read it out on the show. I, I, yeah, I'll no, it's, it's, it's podcasting to renovate to. It's, uh, <laughs> you know, that's our, that's our primary demographic that we're aiming for. That's the niche target audience. Yes. <laughs> we give we give instructions on like on like applying drywall randomly in the middle of the podcast. That's how I learned how to do it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for listening, guys. Be sure to take care of yourselves. We are still in a pandemic. Take care.